Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you today once again on this uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 3rd of June of 2020. As uh, in the last few days, we are continuing as we're seeing what's taking place in our nation, uh, the continued protests that are going on throughout even though it seemed like it settled down a little bit yesterday, but the the protests are still going on. Um, it's, we're now, I think, on our eighth or ninth day. And and one of the things that uh, Brother Marty and, and, and the panel brought out yesterday was, was very powerful, is that this is this cannot be just an emotional thing. There's, there's something else that is moving uh, in this generation in, in people causing them to continually come and exert such energy. We know that, that the enemy uh, is, is, is moving in this hour. There's a defiance. There's a rebellion. There is a uh, wounded hearts, people confused. Pastors don't know what to say in this hour. People, uh, you know, just unrefrained. And and there's such a, a civil spiritual unrest in our nation. And and that's why it's so important that we continually gather to study the word of God, to see what the Lord is saying in this hour. And that's and that's the reason why we're doing these podcasts. Because we sense that the Lord is speaking in in this hour. So we thank you for tuning in. We thank you that you, you join us in these Bible study and I pray that you continue to do that. Um as this week uh, goes on, and with the help of the Lord, we can study and and know what God is saying in this hour. It's always a pleasure to be here with the panel, too, uh, Brother Fernando, Brother Marty, Brother Jeremiah. It's good to be with you, my brothers, today to study the Word of God. It's good to be with our listeners, and we thank you for tuning in. And right now, we'll leave it with Brother Marty uh, and share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. As we uh, as we continue here in midweek, uh, June the third, twenty twenty, uh, I woke up with a with a really uh, reflective meditation in my heart. I believe led by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, as I began to really think about our nation, our country, where we are, trying to make sense of of all the events of the day and. And just what God has been having us discuss and and uh and having us look within the historical um narrative of 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 the prophets and of their times, it was unique because and why we see the parallels in it is because <clears throat> they were a separate nation unto God founded and forged up under the fires of of affliction and, and delivered by by a mighty hand of God and brought into a new land, uh, asking God to be their God, cutting covenant with God at Mount Sinai, and then being prospered by God once they came into the promised land and began to grow and increase as a nation. And over time, as God blessed them and they increased, they began to become a nation and a people that were that had become complacent in their in their walk with God and and as we'll get in to look at 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 some of the things today 
we believe that we are seeing incredibly striking parallels uh, for our time because our nation as well, and we'll get into that in a minute, uh, is a nation that was born out of a group of people that were that had crossed the oceans to come to the new land, to come to the new world. And what was truly in their hearts was to seek a place that was out from under the tyranny of an established state religion uh, in England in, under King George, really, and, and the other kings. And and they came here, and I've read accounts of uh, the actual first ones that landed, landed in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in the middle of the 1600s, late 1600s, I don't know the exact year, but the first act when they came off the boat uh, and hit the shore was to take uh, a giant uh, wooden cross that they had made and uh, and they stuck it in in the sand on the shore of the beach there and proclaimed the entire land to be the new world and to be the new land uh, wherein they would ask God's blessing. It would be a hundred years or so later, a hundred plus years later when we would actually begin to see the new nation burgeon and form, which would ultimately become the United States of America. But the, the parallels are very similar of a people who were leaving uh, up under uh, the heavy tyranny uh, of the monarchy of England and seeking a land where they could express their love and devotion for God as they found him in the scriptures. And so this is how the land began. And the parallels are striking, as we'll get into today, because as the land grew, as the people prospered, as the nation became a nation, it too, like Israel and Judah of old, began to fall away from the very moral principle and spiritual foundations that caused the nation to be great to begin with, because it was a people that called out to God for his, for his protection, for his blessing. And in essence, they cut a covenant with the Lord. And why we're looking at Isaiah is because God rose him up at a time specifically when the nation had reached the point where it it needed to be dealt with. It needed to uh, be called on the <laughs> on the carpet, so to speak, and and have a, a moment where it could look at itself and reflect. And we know the history is that they refused over time to turn and to listen to the voice of the prophets that God had sent them. And so when Isaiah's prophecy begins, as we've been now going into our third day today, that is where we're going to begin again today. And we'll see if we can get past the uh, the first verse today. <laughs> I think we got to the middle of the second verse the other day, but but we need to look at these things again. And, and we're going to talk about it. And, and, and brothers, uh, I know the Lord is is moving in your hearts today as we had discussion off off air here. But um, so jump in, please, at any time. Um, Brother Jeremy, if you have your Bible, would you open it, please? Uh, Brother Jeremiah, are you there? Yeah. Uh, can you open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 4? I'm going to have you read out of there uh, in, in verse 25 and 26 in, in a minute here. But I, I want Brother Jeremy to begin our study, if if you would. And, and please bless the reading of your word, Lord. Um, yes. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Would you begin, Brother Jeremy? Yes. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, 
for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people. Excuse me. Israel doth not know my people doth not consider. Amen. And so Isaiah begins his prophecy, and we discussed over uh, on Monday's podcast. I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two if, if you haven't heard them, Monday and Tuesdays, as we're exploring the prophecies of Isaiah and the parallels to the United States of America and what's occurring right now on the streets of America. Isaiah received his calling, as we talked about in Isaiah chapter 6, and, and that's when he was actually called into being a prophet. And as we discussed there, it was in the year that King Uzziah uh, was struck with leprosy. The Bible terms it as the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah 6. And it was at that time when he was removed from the throne uh, and, and, and finished out his monarchy the last 27 years or so uh, away from Jerusalem, away from the house of God and away from from the palace because of his leprosy, he was removed from power. It was in that year that Isaiah received his call, the call of God on his life to become a prophet. And it was as if we looked, as we looked back then uh, on Monday and discussed those things, that Isaiah received a vision where he sees the Lord uh, sitting upon his throne as the judge because he was getting ready to 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 sit as a judge of, uh, uh, and pronounce a case against a, a, a criminal, so to speak. It has that kind of idea that God moves to sit, and Isaiah sees this in his vision. And and he, he, he it doesn't imply that Isaiah was living a bad life or anything like that. It's just that when he saw God and the events of his day transpiring when he received his call of God, that Isaiah goes on to say, Woe is me, for I am undone. And uh, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, as it's described there, and he saw the activity of the heavenly realm in heaven itself, and, and, and the seraphim flying before the throne, and what they were saying and what they were declaring, that God is holy, 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 they said, and the whole earth is filled with his with his glory. When Isaiah caught a vision of the of the beauty, the majesty, the authority, the power, and the splendor of Almighty God, instantly he cries, "Woe is me!" And we talked about that that woe that he proclaims as being the the impetus to 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 his call, the beginning of it. And like we discussed back back on Monday, when he says "woe in me," it carries with it the feeling of of a finality in other words he was what he was in the presence of god and at that moment he had no uh spiritual recourse in other words he was what he was and in light of that every single part of his of his life the essence of 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 who he was and how he lived was exposed in the light of what the angels were proclaiming Holy, holy, holy. And why this is important is because we we carry with it a sense of understanding why Isaiah, once he leaves that vision and has been purged and cleansed and commissioned for his prophetic voice, everything that he writes over the next 86 years 
which is how long his ministry endured, would carry with it always that that uh, seasoning of his initial call, where where he reflected the authority, the power, the majesty of the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, and what actually goes on around him. And it affected him so much because it jarred him into a sobriety of spiritual truth that he was living amongst a people who lived in a nation that thought that because it had the label that it was the people of God, that they were existing in their abundant blessings, uh, free uh, to live the way they were living, and had reached the point of where they were so callous that the Spirit of God was no longer moving through the, the power elite, the political power, or the religious elite to the extent that what was going on in the spiritual core of the nation no longer had the impact or the weight of the seriousness of what it means to be called the people of God and 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 how the requirements of representing the Lord God Almighty should flow from the heart of a life consecrated in holiness and purity and love, devotion, and thankfulness for the great blessings which which separated them amongst all the nations of the world. And when Isaiah saw that, he cries out and says, we're all messed up, man. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's the Marty Martinez translation of what he said. He said, man, I'm a mess. I, I didn't realize the level to which I had declined. Not necessarily, not necessarily living in a bad way, but not living in the way that he suddenly realized he needed to be living. When we catch a glimpse of the holiness of God, and we must do this. I know it's not popular in our day to talk about it, and even when we do, it's it's already uh, it already has a, 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 a an almost predetermined effect on the one who hears words like holiness, purity, consecration. You know, people have these religious concepts of what those words mean. Holiness is not simply a set of actions and lifestyle choices on our part, oh, although that is a component of it. Holiness is the reflection of a gratitude that we have toward our God for all the blessings that we take for granted in our life. Just the fact that we got up and were able to breathe God's air, that should produce within us a reflection. We take for granted even the very next beat of my heart or the fact that I, I have food to eat today. Or I, or I have shelter, or, or all the, the, even the most basic of things that we take for granted, each and everything in the, in the reflective process of the child of God should produce within us a, a, a gratitude of awe and thankfulness. And it's out of that expression of our gratitude and thankfulness to him for, and realization that it is God that has blessed me. It is God that has given me everything that I have. It is God that, that takes care of me on and on and on. It is that expression of awe and those moments of understanding that in a, in a clear way that our heart turns towards him. And the impact of those kinds of understandings produces within us a, a way of life 
that is not a forethought or a choice. It is the flow of a life surrendered to him in, in absolute thankfulness. And, and this is how the nation began in, in Isaiah's day, uh, where it had come to was, comp- was, was almost a million miles from that. And as we go on today, briefly in the next few moments, we're going to discuss some things about the origins of, of our land and our people. But let's carry with us that understanding of what it is that we're saying now based on that little introduction there so that we can understand why when Isaiah begins in chapter 1 again, we return to he starts his very first message after that encounter we described in Isaiah 6. He opens his book with what would become a consistent message for the 86 years of his life. Because this very first chapter in the book of Isaiah, you will see the themes of it repeated in one extent or another throughout all 66 chapters of the book. Because it is the primary thing that is motivating his call of God. And so it will be again now. The same people uh, that are in fellowship with the same spirit that moved Isaiah. I know God is moving many of you out there and bringing us all into a reflective moment of pause where we can allow God in the events of our day to speak to us and to bring us clarity. Because what Brother Jeremy read at the end of verse 3 is, my people don't know this. My people have reached a point where they don't even consider. And what he means by that is a lack of knowledge produces a lack of meditation. My people don't know, and so they don't consider And so when Isaiah begins his prophecy, he simply says the vision of Isaiah. And and like we talked about, the word vision comes from two Hebrew words, hazon and hazah. And and literally what those two words uh, have the meaning or the implication of the meaning is to uncover something that has been veiled or covered, to remove the false exterior of something. And so when Isaiah begins by saying the vision, that's what we hear in English. But in the Hebrew, what he's literally saying is the purpose of everything I'm about to share with you, I have received from God. And what it is designed to do is to rip the religious hypocrisy off the face of the nation and expose truly what's going on on the inside. And this is going to span four monarchies. This is going to cover eight decades. So it starts under Uzziah, it ends under Hezekiah, and it's got Jotham and Ahaz in the middle. So it's a lengthy thing that ultimately would culminate in everything that he would prophesy to them for their generation and the subsequent decades that would enter. Uh, His student, Jeremiah, would be alive to witness uh, the fulfillment of all the things that Isaiah had said would come to pass. So it's a vision that's designed to uncover what has been covered and to remove uh, what is is blocking uh, the Spirit of God from getting at the heart of a nation, at the heart of the matter. So the prophecy deals with, primarily, the, the powerful elite, both in the political and religious aspects of what he's about to unveil here. Because in verse, for instance, in verse, uh, in verse 10, he addresses the rulers of the nation. So he's going after the nation, but after the ruling elite, because the problem always flows from the head down. The people will become what they're led into. But this doesn't mean, and we're talking about the people of God now, this doesn't mean 
that the people are <laughs> stand as uh, innocent bystanders to what they see happening. Because the prophecy is basically implying that everyone was guilty. And, and that's how God deals with a nation. He always addresses the rulers, but he also comes down to the people. But all were guilty because those who knew better amongst the people, they were, they were complacent, like I was saying. By their right. very silence, they were complacent. And 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 they and they they were complacent because of their silence, and or their failure to even boldly resist or rebuke all the compromise that they were witnessing over decades. You know, it's easy to complain about what we see, but will we be like Isaiah? Are we really truly willing to put ourselves out there if God calls you to do it? Will we be like Isaiah was in Isaiah 6 when he heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will go for us? Isaiah said what? That's what Brother Jeremy, uh, Fernando was saying when we started today in our conversation before we went to our podcast. Isaiah said, send me, Lord. And so he delivers this vision, and the condition of the nation is much like today in the United States. The land was filled with all kinds of prophets and priests all across Judah and Jerusalem and Israel. But they had reached a point of going about their business, the business of religion. And so outwardly, it was really one of professional religion. They had become really good at at doing professional religion. And the exterior of the people, like I said, it was one of an apparent devotion to the Lord. But the truth is that inside, what was driving them, which is what God sees, were their secret sins, their idolatries, their lusts, their compromise, and their embracing of the very pagan heathen practices around them. On the outside, they went to church. On the outside, they participated in the camp meetings and conferences and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know the new moons and the Sabbaths. You can read about all that in verse 11, right? And the Lord would tell them, you know, what is the purpose of all your sacrifices, man? And what is this multitude of sacrifice you bring me? Or, or or, who even asked you to come spend time with me? As oh. if you're doing something uh, for my benefit, almost to placate me. As if you think that my relationship with you is predicated on a religious exercise, on some sort of ritual kind of practice that you've entered into going to church on every Sabbath or in our case, every Sunday. And and maybe if that, you know, if we have time and, you know, and, and I haven't booked a vacation to the lake during the summer, I might show up to the service and, mm. and God should be glad that I'm there. <laughs> right. Mm. Right. right. So that's kind, of, that's kind of how they were, right? I mean, they were, they were apparently on the outside, they were devoted, but these were a generation of people that were now, fully blossoming after years of compromise. And inwardly, what was really driving them were secret sins, idolatries, and all sorts of pull in the direction of the world. And the truth is, um, it's a very dangerous condition that they were in. Because like Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I would that you would either be hot or cold, right? I mean, either be on fire for me or, or be completely backslidden. But when you're in the middle, 
when you're lukewarm, that's the most dangerous of conditions because because I can't even deal with you then because you think you're okay. And there are many across the landscape of evangelicalism today that think they're okay, but they're neither cold nor hot. But, but Jesus warned them and said, I will spew you out of my mouth. I, I, as if you were lukewarm water, right? I mean, I will, I will spew you out of my mouth. I, I will cease and desist to, to pray for you. So it was a very dangerous condition they were in in Isaiah's day, as it is in our day today. And this is the product of years of false doctrine, man, and of no true adherence to the Word of God, to the Torah in their case. And what it produced was a, was a generation that had morphed into an incredibly compromised, idolatrous, and worldly church of their day. And like I said, it was a consistent message that he would speak. And so we get to verse 2, and he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. And, and this is important why he starts here. As everything we've just been discussing in verse 1, now he goes directly to the heavens and the earth. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but but it really harkens back to the original to the original record of the covenant when Moses called the people to an account just before they were about to go into the promised land. Are you are you there, brother Jeremiah, in Deuteronomy chapter 2? I mean, sorry, it's chapter 4. Yeah. Uh what verse? Uh chapter 4. Uh, beginning with verse 25 and then read through 26. And before you do, remember, Isaiah, when he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, he is taking the nation all the way back to its roots as he's going to begin to lay out a case before them for why they are in the most precarious position, which is dangling over the edge of a cliff that will plunge them down under the judgment hand of God for their sins. And so before he, he lays forth um, the indictment, he, he begins to lay his case and take it all the way back to the beginnings when they were about to go into the promised land and Moses would speak these words to them. Can you read it, Brother Jeremiah? Yeah. And he said, verse 25, When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger. Verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. So there we see, thank you, brother. There we see in verse 26 what Isaiah is referring to when he says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. He is literally, by the Spirit of the Lord, taking the people all the way back to before they had come into the land. Because what he's hoping to do, especially amongst the religious establishment, is get them to be jarred enough to return back to the Word and see exactly what Moses said was going to happen. And Moses called the heaven and the earth to be a witness to the covenant that God was cutting with his people. Because generations come and go, right? 
<laughs> but the heavens and the earth remain. Right. And so right. this is a right. This is a deep thing, uh, and, and something that we don't have time to get into at length today. But the connection between Israel and and also the you know the 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 well the wellness not only of Israel but the entirety of the universe and the earth itself. Notice what they said, uh, that, that, that when they would become backslidden, he said, if you enter into this uh, and become backslidden, that they would perish as a nation and that they would be driven away. Because that, that's what he goes on to say in that prophecy, if you read the rest of it. He actually prophesied what was going to happen to them, even before they went into the promised land, even before they destroyed Jericho, man. Moses was an intense, beautiful servant of God. I mean, he he knew, and he warned them then, and he calls the heavens and the earth to rec- to, to record uh, what would happen to them as a result. And so, when God raises up Isaiah, it's at a time when the fulfillment of Moses's prophecy, given a thousand years before, is about to come to pass. Remember, God 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 looks at all things long term. When he deals with the people, he deals with the forefathers and all the children after that from generation to generation. But he never forgets what the forefathers promised him. And that's why Isaiah is calling the heaven and the earth to record. He says, okay, now it's time for you to stand as a witness. Because in a sense, it has this feeling that there ain't nobody else around who knows this. We have reached such a point that the people have lost identification with their roots, but it doesn't abrogate the responsibility for those roots. And, and it's their fault and it's their leader's fault that they haven't carried on the, 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 the powerful traditions and the truth of the spiritual formation of them as a people as a whole. That's why Isaiah called out to the heavens and the earth, because they were the witnesses from long ago. And so it reflected what Moses had prophesied would happen, right? Because because of their rejection of the Lord's word and his law and, and, and his ethical, moral, and standards, Isaiah now calls out the nation because now they were going to reap what they had sown over decades of rejecting God's ways. I'm going to read you something from the from the rabbis, because they said this regarding Israel, the rabbi said, Israel's misdeeds are not a private affair between just God and the nation, as if it had no bearing on anything or anything, anyone or anything else. God deemed, listen to this, God deemed the very existence of the world to be dependent on Israel's loyalty to the Torah and the performance of its commandments. Israel's good deeds affected the physical world as well. It had positive or negative effects on all creation. The sins of the divine nation would cause heaven and earth to suffer as well. Let's consider America for a minute here. And this is where, when you guys feel like jumping in, jumping in, but let's consider America. And like we have said, the parallels we're talking about are striking. 
it too, the United States, is a nation of a covenant with God. And its church within it, in my opinion at least, like Israel of old, it affects everything. The whole world stands in turmoil today, quite possibly because of the incredible failure and compromise of the modern-day American church and its leadership. Because this nation is unique amongst nations, just as Israel was unique amongst the nations of its day. And what's interesting to me is that the judgment that finally came upon Israel caused the global empires to begin to to rise. Although we had Egypt in, in, in the past, God destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt and set his people free and then allowed them to become this flourishing, prosperous nation that once held out its, his commandments and had relationship with him. But once the ultimate judgment came, then came the first expression of a global empire as seen in the Babylonian Empire. And it's quite possible, I'm just going to throw this little nugget out there to you guys right now, it's quite possible that what we are witnessing right now take place in our country and in the devastation that's occurred since we came into the year 2020, whether it's this still continuing ongoing global pandemic that that witnessed the lockdown of the entire world until just Memorial Day weekend when we were beginning to let people out of their houses and say, okay, let's try and go back. And then it's just a matter of a few days, we now, we, we witnessed that tragic uh, killing of George Lloyd by a, by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, they gave way to what we have today going into our ninth day of protest across the United States that has witnessed over 30 uh, major cities in our country um, on fire and, and people marching through the streets, troops being released, police forces, looting, mayhem of all sorts. Is it possible that America's ultimate destruction because of the failure of her churches and her church's leaders, in light of the fact that we cut a covenant with God so far and so long ago, is going to make way for the same pattern that happened in Israel's day when it was judged. It made way for a global empire to rise and an antichrist figure to come forth. And think of this, since Israel's day and falling away and the first captivity when they were taken into Babylon and that Antichrist figure of Nebuchadnezzar who set up the golden image, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so forth and so on. Since that time, brothers, there has not failed to be a global empire and the ruling of the Gentiles on the face of the planet. We, we went from Babylon and when Babylon came down, came the next global empire. It was a global empire, the Medes and the Persians, which gave way in their destruction to another global empire, which was Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, which faded into four different empires, the Seleucus Empire under Seleucus, Cassandra, Ptolemy, and I always forget the third one. Does anyone remember the third one? Jeremiah, you're in college. You should remember the third one. Cassandra. Did I say Cassandra? <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, there's Cassandra, oh, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. These were the four four generals uh, of Alexander the Great, uh, Lysimachus, Cassandra, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. And and the Seleucus Empire would ultimately blossom into the Assyrian Empire, which would take Israel captive. And then after these diminished, 
Then came the Roman Empire, which has yet to diminish and is rising again. So this failure of God's people resulted in the unleashing of the global state and has and it has seen its 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 uh its effects in one way or another last for the last three thousand years up until our day. But then something unique happened as we came into the sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds in there, a new nation was being born. A nation that would be born by a handful of people who crossed the Atlantic Ocean and came to this new this new world. And unlike any of the nations before, with the exception, I would say, of Judah and Israel, no other nation could could be singled out and said, this is a nation of God. And it was understood from our beginnings, uh, you know, that that these things happen and 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 as our nation in its infancy spread across the land from the east coast to the west coast i read something really extraordinary this morning for those of you who who think that we're just you know being religious right people you know who just talk like this you know our nation in its infancy it spread across the land from the east coast once once the nation was born and and as it began to populate the land, I was reading in, in, in this book this morning, which I found really interesting. I'm going to read you this quote because it's uh it's quite amazing. It's from the it's from a book written by the author of Brian Shelley. And and it's it's a it's a it's a scholarly book. It's 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 about church history. It goes all the way back. Um but in chapter thirty nine, um in 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 a chapter titled the destiny of a nation, a Christian America. Uh, he records uh, what the church uh, used to be like, uh, and, and and how our nation started out as it spread across this land, and 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 it once knew that it had a mission and a purpose. And I'm going to read you this, and and it's it's just a brief paragraph. Listen to what he says, chapter 39, page 400, Brian Shelley. Uh, the Destiny of a Nation, the Christian America, the History of the Church. Listen to what he writes here. He says, Shall the earth be made to bring forth in a day, or shall a nation be born at once? The prophet Isaiah's question seemed unusually appropriate for the youthful American nation. In 1835, Lyman Beecher the well-known Presbyterian and Congregational minister in New England preached a sermon from the text Isaiah 66, 8, and he called it a plea for the West. Beecher believed firmly that a vast new empire was opening in the American wilderness. Nothing less than a whole culture was at stake. In Beecher's estimation, Christians should seize the opportunity, he said, and shape the religious and political destiny of the nation. And how did he propose to do that? He called for the preaching of the gospel, for the distribution of Bibles, for the planting of churches, for the establishing of Christian schools, and the reform of American morals. He was a Puritan, 
And Beecher knew that a, that a free society needed just laws, and in a democracy, just laws required popular support informed by Christianity and the Word of God. Beecher spoke for a host of evangelical Christians, Baptists, Methodists, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians. In fact, his views were so widely shared that historians speak of this era, era as the age of the rise of the righteous empire. Close quote. Any comments? <laughs> no, Powerful, I'd actually right? just, yeah, it is. Um, I'd, actually, I'd actually just like to add to that, um, you know, speaking on America's godly foundation, uh, there's a place in Boston in a, uh, I think it's like a gated community kind of area. And yeah. um, right, in, right in the center, they have something, they have a big monument that the forefathers had put up and it's hidden. And a lot of people don't really want you to find this monument. Um, it's called the Matrix of Liberty. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've heard of this before, oh. but it's oh. basically built yes. on, on, on a few pillars. So it's called, one pillar was built on faith. And that pillar represents how in order to, in order for the nation to succeed, they need to have faith in God. And then another pillar is morality. In order for the nation to succeed and do just, they need to have a good morality, and they can only have morality with faith. And then as you keep going, they have, you know, pillars like law and, and liberty and, and, you know, stuff like that. But it, it goes to show that the forefathers laid the foundation for this nation to be a godly nation. And we were built on the foundation of truth and on the word of God. And and for our nation to be in the condition it's at today, it's because they've turned away from that. You know, and and I totally agree with what you've been saying. And I just want to throw that in there just to kind of add to what you were saying as well. Like like we were built on, on freedom and on on the right to serve God and to give everything to God. You know, I just wanted to add that in there. Praise God. Brothers, anyone else? That's awesome, Brother Jeremiah. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's exactly uh, why it's important and why we are looking at this today, because because of the condition that we find ourselves in right now. And, and, and again, we're, we're putting forth the thesis and not without evidence and even quotes. I have one more quote I'm going to read in a second here, but uh, as we get there, but <clears throat> which will really blow you guys away. But <laughs> it blew me away when I was reading it. But... Uh, the 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 fact is is that we're we're a nation that has amnesia. You know we have mm. forgotten who we are because the interim generations that have yeah. have been born and have enjoyed this blessed experiment, this 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 fragile thing called freedom, it can only be given. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the very foundations of our nation are up under attack. The, it's as if the foundations are crumbling. And we have to ask ourselves why. Because as Brother Jeremy was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, it is not a natural thing that a collective of humanity as we see our youth roaming the streets and pillaging our stores and, and, and my God, even burning down a church 
the night before last in in Washington, D.C. that was founded in 1816, 29 years after the Constitution was ratified. Wow. That, that, that wow. the enemy came up on the gates and burned down St. John's Church. They didn't burn it down to the ground, but there, there were, they tried to. And, and literally, I found it very symbolic that the fires, the only thing that truly burned was the nursery where they take care of the children. Mm. For those of you who have eyes to see, it's almost as if God was saying, you know what? <laughs> it, just as the fires have consumed this place where children would be cared for, so the fires of your rebellion have produced the very children that are now lighting the fires of the churches that you long ago uh, let go of and the morality of my word. And now they've come to the very gate of the White House and they stand here and proclaim to you, we will not serve your God. Why? Wow. Because we're a country without perspective of history. And the fault doesn't lie. I'm telling you, we're not laying a trip at, at, at the White House or at the Republicans or Democrats. They're bad enough as it is. I mean, that's just obvious to see. But when Isaiah says, heavens and earth, listen. Listen, heavens, give ear, earth. The Lord has spoken. In the past, he cut a covenant with his people. And you are the witnesses of it. And now what's about to unfold and what is unfolding and what's about to be laid forth as a case for a just judgment upon a society and a generation that has come to full bloom as a result of being the seed of those who long ago forsook the, the love of, of God in heaven and have morphed into this, this abomination of, of professional religious uh, exercise, and it no longer reflects the beauty and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you listen, heavens, and you listen, earth, because you were there when the covenant yes. first cut. He says, we're a nation that has amnesia. And, he's a, and, and he says, that's why my people don't know, and that's why they don't even take time to pause and consider how did we get here. It's too easy to put the blame on, on all the other exterior forces around our country. But Isaiah takes them all the way back to before uh, they, they, they came across the wilderness, right to the edge, before they crossed the Jordan River yes. into the Promised Land. He takes them right to that spot, the very few last things that Moses did. And he says, you cut a covenant with God, and the heavens and the earth are the witness that your fathers said yes to God. And God in his infinite patience and mercy to you has waited and waited until now there is no recourse. And I'm about to lay the case out because you've become so professionally religious that you have an exterior that seems to present this pseudo spirituality. But I'm about to rip the cover off it by taking you back to your history and there tell me that, that and, and try to deny before me that I have claim not only over your land, but over your very lives, because I have blessed you from generation to generation, and now you have turned from me and rebelled against me, and so your land, strangers devour it, and children no longer respect their elders, and the land itself, your cities are on fire, and your nation is desolate, and here is the right. reason why. Brother Marty, it's, a, it's very. I was reading the Isaiah chapter one, and and one of the things that that stood out 
uh, to me also. As I was reading verse two, as 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 if God is having a conversation, right, with His creation, right. They were the witnesses, yeah. as we read in, in Deuteronomy. But then he compares. Look what he uses. He uses the example in verse three of an ox, and the example of a donkey. It says, you know. But let me let me use the example of the donkey. You know, the, who? What? What is a donkey? He says, even a donkey, or, or the ass, knows his master's crib, knows where to go. Right? The donkey is is probably the most one of the most stubborn animals right that we know yet he knows where his crib is at where his house is at right uh yeah. the in the and i you know in the niv it says the donkey uh knows its owner's main ma- manger right but israel does not know my people does not even consider yet a donkey does Look how far, it's almost, I don't know how to say this in another way, it's almost animal-like. <laughs> we, yeah. we we have become so far away. We have become beast in our actions, you know. At least a beast knows how to go back, as stubborn as it is. He knows his way back. We that should know better, you know, God's, what is God's highest creation, don't know. My people don't understand, and then he says, for that reason, he says, he says the whole head, right, is sick. You know, speaking yeah. of leadership, and and the whole heart is faint, and and it's amazing that God will use the example of a donkey, <laughs> you know, a stubborn animal, to say at least they know their way. We don't, you know, and yeah. and th- that was that was coming out at me as I was reading it this morning the passage and the way he speaks of the people of God that should know better. Yeah. And that's really good because, uh, because, and, and to take it a little further and, 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 and in the spirit of what you're saying, what the Lord was showing you, you know, the ox, uh, what Isaiah was saying as well, there was that is, is, is what the Lord was revealing was that the ox knows his boundaries. See what the ox was that's used it. for was to play. Was to, was to plow the field. Yes. He was used to plow the field and he was used to cultivate the land. And, mm. and, and, and he's revealing to the people, this is what your purpose was. The ox who cultivates the land is preparing it to be sowed so that it can produce fruit. And he knows this. He knows his owner, and he doesn't stray outside the boundaries of that. He's a domesticated animal like the, like the mule, like the donkey. It was a particular kind of donkey that Isaiah was referring to. They're both domesticated, and they're both very strong in their will, but they've allowed their owners to bring them into a position of domestication. And he says, if, if an animal will do that, why don't you create it in my image who have been blessed by me, understand your mission and your purpose. The ox knows that what he is meant to do is to cultivate the field and prepare it so the seed can be deposited and and fruit can be born. And, And he's actually calling them to account and saying, you have miserably failed. To be the to be the priests and the kings that were to transform the Gentile nations and bring them 
by the very example of the great blessings that flow upon you above all nations, it would have attracted the nations of the world to come to me. That was your job. That's why when Jesus later rejects the the Pharisees and the establishment of his day, he says, I'm going to take away uh, your blessing from this nation and give it to another nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. He was referring to the birth of the Gentile church who would obey God because of the ultimate sacrifice. And so he says he knows his owner. He knows what he's supposed to do. And, And he will not leave his boundaries. He will not leave the field of his owner. He will not stray from its borders. But but his people have strayed, right, like you were pointing out. And then as far as the Asco, like you were saying so well there, what the Lord is revealing about him is that he himself, as you know, donkeys are real stubborn, right? Yet he he has allowed himself to become domesticated. And he was trying to say, yes, you have these these stubborn tendencies as, as human beings. But even the donkey allows his master to domesticate him. You did not allow my spirit to have its full work in you. And so you're, uh, you have, and the, and the word crib there, that's the source of his blessing. That's where he gets fed, right? You said it earlier, the manger, right? That's where they put the food. Yeah. He's yeah. trying to say, your source, your blessing um, is me. And he says, even a donkey knows this about his own master, even if he is stubborn. And even if he is strong-willed, he ain't going to go away from his source where he gets his food. But he says, you guys do. You don't understand. You don't know. And you don't consider the most basic of things. And you have miserably failed, right? And then you go on to talk about the whole head and so forth and so on. You're right, because that's what he was saying. Go ahead. You know, it's it's interesting, Brother Marty. Yes, it correctly, beautifully put you know, in verse 19, because uh, right now the church is trying to find out what 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 are, what are we to do right now, right? Uh, and we're telling our people, go protest. As I heard, as I was sharing with you, I'm not going to say who it was, but it, it was a, a, a pastor in, in Atlanta, a big church, calling his church to go out and protest, obviously using the correct words, peacefully. So, you know, if we're protesting, we're doing our job because we've identified the problem here in America. It's racism, right? That's That's what they're saying. No, the problem is yeah. sin, right? Yeah. So so what is God asking of us? That's the question that we have to ask when we're reading this. And there's something very simple, but I think impractical, I guess at least for me, but he says it in verse 19 of that same chapter of verse 1. He says, if you be willing and obedient, which is what you were talking about, about the ox and the uh, ass, that in spite of their tendencies, one to be Stubborn one, you know. They he says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, which is what we're doing, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. But I'm speaking to the church now. What is God asking of us to be obedient? to be willing and obedient. If we obey what he's saying today, he says, you shall eat of the good of the land. So I just wanted to share that that passage in, in the scripture as you were talking about the donkey and, and the ox. And I think that's powerful that you brought it up there because 
as the way that Isaiah puts it is so insightful, right? Because he doesn't say, if you be obedient and willing. He says, if you be willing and obedient. And so God Mm. cuts through the veneer, which is what we started talking about when he's addressing his nation. Because willingness is of the heart. And obedience is the outward response to an inward truth. Like what James said, I'll show you my faith by what I do. It proves that my heart is consecrated. And so God always is, he's, this is where he's at. This is what he's concerned with when it comes to the nation. And again, we reiterate, we're talking to the leadership of the evangelical community in this nation. I don't want to hear about all this other stuff. Me personally, I don't want to hear about Antifa, Black Lives Matter. I don't want to hear about Nancy Pelosi or Trump or any of that stuff, man. I don't want to hear about it. And I don't surely don't want to hear your your trigger platitudes uh, and your and your desire to be embraced by the culture. So you, so you tell the church to go out there and march. Why don't you tell us what the Word of God tells us to do? Yes, we stand in solidarity right. with any person that's afflicted, with anyone that's been mm. treated unjustly, with any poor or impoverished society, with any brokenhearted individual. That goes without saying. Because if Jesus lives in you, you feel compassion and empathy for any suffering soul anywhere, saved or unsaved alike. But what we need, what we truly need, like Brother Jeremy just quoted, is for this head to realize just how sick it is. (laughs) It's completely unsound. And that's why you get messages from Louis Giglio, because that's who said said it. Louis Giglio. Uh, you know, that's what he's telling them to do. Or Carl Lentz, I saw a clip of him the other day over there in New York, uh, uh, you know, mocking uh, anyone that would uh, would have any other idea but what they say, which is to become culturally relevant. They are so desperate to be embraced by the very world that will turn on them when they are no longer useful. But they're so blind that they can't see it. And because they have have no discernment. My people don't know, and because of no discernment and no consideration of what actually is happening, and because of the long history of compromise, here we are seeking to placate uh, the world with our cultural relevance, when what we really need to do is to understand that we ourselves are the reason that our country is in the position that it's in. That's what Isaiah was trying to tell his people then, That's what God is telling us now. We are a nation that has amnesia. And like Judah and Jerusalem of old, we have truly forgotten our history. And precisely, I think, because we no longer have a religious leadership that guides the nation. And it long ago, this evangelical, hyper-charismatic, Pentecostal, megachurch, tap-dancing, hair-gel-wearing, unbutton my shirt down to my navel and get tattoos that say Jesus kind of leadership. It long ago it, 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 it abandoned its most sacred calling. And it and in my opinion it's embraced instead its own self promotion, its greed, its desire to be embraced by the world and its lust for the things of the world. And that compromise has weakened this nation. And we are now witnessing the effects of it and the harvest of it, sorry, I don't mean to get loud, <laughs> in, our, right. in our streets and amongst our people. Right. Yes, 
Yeah. You know, you know, this nation, this nation, this nation was born in 1776, right? Almost 250 yeah. years ago, and yes. we have completely forgotten uh, our past. Like you said, we have historical amnesia. Um, and I, and when you were speaking about that, I thought about uh, the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt, from the exodus of Egypt to Mount Sinai was 50 days, correct? That's correct, and, brother. Uh, took 50 days for them to forget who brought them out of Egypt. Because why? It said that Moses went up to the mountain, he tarried, and they came to the preacher, to Aaron. And they say, build us gods, build wow. us a calf. And the, and the preacher said, I'll do it, but you got to give me your gold. You got to give me your golden earrings, your bracelets. You got <laughs> to give good. me your money. <laughs> right? That's really hmm. good. Yeah. And, and then he did something, and then he made a proclamation that's pretty strange. After he finished building the molten calf, he said, this be the God that brought you out of Egypt. Fifty days. Mm-hmm. Fifty days they forgot who brought them out of Egypt. Then almost 250 years, and this nation has forgotten its history. That the framers of this nation built this great nation and make and cut covenant with God. My God. Cut covenant with God. And since then we have been the most prosperous, most powerful nation on the face of the earth that in the in the history of mankind, you're right. In the history of the world, and, brother, and and we think that we are great because we have progressive minds. No, we are great because of the freedoms that are afforded to us through the Word of God that allow us to be progressive. Yes. Yes. Have yes. we have we forgotten? Absolutely. But who's at fault? The preachers. Yes. The preachers are at fault. The errands of the world are at fault. Why? Because they have left the preaching of the gospel, in particular that Jesus Christ is coming again. Moses is coming down that mountain. He is coming down. Yes. And and what is happening right now, it's a Mount Sinai kind of sin prophetically in our nation where the people are playing and going crazy. But... Remember, we spoke about this earlier, I think, before. God is lifting up the Levites. They have swords yes. in their hands. I'm not talking about a weapon here. I'm talking about the word of God. The word of God. And they're calling God's people back to righteousness. So, yes, we Isaiah, Isaiah said it. My people do not consider. It's like they've forgotten what God has done for us. And that's exactly right. Yes, that's true. And uh, brother, uh, that, that reminds me of what we quoted earlier by uh, by Pastor Beecher in 1835, right? Because because what he said again, he said in uh, it said uh, let's let me read this quote again. It said Beecher knew that a free society needed just laws, and in a democracy, just laws required popular support, informed. By Christianity. In other words, you can enact all the laws you want, but if they don't have with them the moral weight of divine law, they will not stand, and neither will the people regard them. The foundation of 
any breath of freedom and the laws that govern it, the parameters that frame it in, can only be enforced by a people that adhere and 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 subsequently puts into practice the foundations of its of its spiritual source, which was its Judeo Christian values. That's really what he was talking about. But Jeremy, we're gonna All say right. something? Yeah, I mean, it's very telling, right? And again, what is most preachers in America telling the churches? We must fight racism, right? <laughs> that That's the problem in America. Well, no, that's not what we should told. The problem in America is a heart problem. Yeah. And until that, pro- until that gets fixed, let me tell you, it, it, it's, it's strong, but, but Jesus said this. Remember when when Mary um, uh, breaks her alabaster box and then Judah says, man, we could have used this for the poor, right? Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. Yes. Right? Uh, Racism has always existed. This doesn't say that we should just let it happen. But, you know, that's not going to get fixed until we fix the heart problem in America. That's why and there's only one, we did, right, and there's only one way to do that, right? Yeah, and, and that's preaching. that's preaching gospel. the gospel, and the, and the reason the society has become as it has in our country, and don't forget what we're talking about here. We're talking about Isaiah and the conditions that led to the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem, paralleling our time, and why we are sounding the alarm that we are we are we are hanging over the precipice. And it's it's only by a thread that we're hanging on right now, and 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 and, and yet I feel a stirring in my spirit. I have mm-hmm. a sense that there's an undercurrent beginning to boil up, that God is extending a hand to His spiritual people who can hear His voice, and is yes. stirring us, stirring His churches, stirring His people. That that aren't out there and and can't be seen, but God knows exactly where you are. Elijah reached the point in his ministry where he thought he was the only dude left on the planet, (laughs) right? I mean, that's how bad it got. We've had conversations like this uh, before, and I know you out there listening and who will listen in the future, you feel that way. You have tried the the whole megachurch route, and it's left you empty. You tried to look for your traditional religious denomination, and it's compromised and become nothing more than a a reflection of a of a meshing of Marxist ideology and pseudo Christianity, uh, where nothing matters anymore but but what uh, what they've done to the Word of God and, and diminished it into some sort of philosophy instead of what it really is, which is the which is the prescription for salvation and deliverance and the promise of of a just and long forever enduring kingdom with with a true king and a righteousness that will flow from the very mountain of God to the whole planet. This is where we are. And for those of you who would who would lie or have lied to our children and and, and, and in our vaunted classrooms and universities, right, concerning our nation's uh, Judeo-Christian roots, I want to read you this quote. Because this, this is the one I told you to blow you away because I read it this morning and I had to write it down. This is a quote from uh, the men who would become the militia uh, uh, in, in Marlboro, Massachusetts, man. <laughs> and this was in yeah. advance 
uh, of the Boston Tea Party. A massacre had had occurred earlier in the year, uh, and the Boston Tea Party, I believe, it occurred in December of 1773. Well, this massacre occurred by these by the by the Egypt of the day, the British Empire, uh, who sought to dominate this young fledgling, uh, what it it termed as a colony of of Britain, right? And and they ended up, you know, trying to send a message. And they ended up bursting into the house of five different men and killing them for their refusal to to pay taxes to the to the to the throne. And this lit a fire. And and they sent back word to the king of England, we are not going to. <laughs> that's enough. And then we reached this point, right? And the year was 1773, and they were now under threat from England and King George the Third. Um, you know who who was uh, who was about to send his armies. It's really much like Egypt and Israel of old. These people had crossed the ocean and were now experiencing the freedoms of God in their life, but they were still under the under the tyranny of a slave master, if you will. And in their day, it was England and King George, and and so they sent back this word to him, and and, and actually published this. Uh, this speech for all their brethren to read. Listen to what they wrote. This blew me away. Because they said, okay, we've reached the point where, where where this requires men, men of God, right? And they wrote this. They said, it said to be under the under the control of of this tyranny, they said death is more tolerable than slavery. A freeborn people a freeborn people, they said, are not required by the religion of Jesus Christ to submit to tyranny. But that people may make use of such power as God has given them to recover and support their laws and their liberties, which were given to them by God. And we implore the ruler above the skies that he would make bare his arm in defense of his church and his people and let Israel go. That's what they said. They viewed wow. themselves as Israel. <laughs> they wow. viewed wow. them, right? And they, they called upon God in 1773, even before the Revolutionary War, three years before it. And then... You know, a few short years later, uh, twenty what is it, twenty six years later, they would have the ratified Constitution of the United States. And so Isaiah calls his people back in that day to remember their roots, and 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 America, really, in in many ways, became a new world Israel, made up of of the Gentile nations, right? Of every tribe, every tongue, every yeah. creed would come to this land. You know, there's one Israel in its proper place, the Jewish people in Israel. But the reason we make the parallels is for statements like we've been reading and discussing to you. America is that Gentile church, that, that spiritual Israel in a way. All right? Don't, don't freak out, you hyper-scholar. Yeah, it's not, re- it's not replacement theology, right? <laughs> no, no, not, a, not at all. Not at all. Right. But it is a nation founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and they viewed themselves. Right. As an Israel. I didn't say it. They did. They saw themselves as coming up under the slavery, out from underneath the slavery of the monarchy in England. 
and they called upon God. 26 years later, they will have won the Revolutionary War, and they will have that document called the Constitution of the United States, the greatest document that's ever been written in the history of humanity, except for the word of Almighty God. And now, because we have forgotten these things, just like Isaiah stood to proclaim to them and begin to to systematically lay the case to them of why they were declining and what was the result of their decline. And like in their day, their cities were burning and and their their nation, he said in verse 7, was left desolate to them. They were empty. God said in verse 2, right, I nourished you. I brought up children. You get into those Hebrew words and what he's literally saying was, I expanded you. I allowed you to to take the whole land. I nourished you and I and I allowed subsequent generations to be brought up and 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 take root in the land. It is me who did this. But but now you rebelled. And and that's why Isaiah says go back to your roots because God has a controversy with you because you are reaping the benefits and you have experienced the blessings of a land and a culture that was born as a result of a group of people back in the first beginnings of your history that said, we will serve no other God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the only begotten son of the living God. Jesus Christ is his name. And we have authority to take this land in his name if he be with us. And indeed he was. But now as we look across, you know, what we're seeing and what we've been talking about this week, We see a nation without a soul searching for an identity. We see children marching in the streets, violent, yes, doing things they shouldn't do, yes. And there's those that that are marching well and doing what they feel they need to do. But what are you saying? I'm saying this is an entire generation looking for a cause. Because when it looks to its elders, it sees nothing but hypocrisy. It sees the, 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 the platitudes of empty promises and speeches that hold no water. It looks to uh, the the ideal and, and, and that when it looks across the landscape of those that are supposed to be instituting just and moral laws across the society, instead their their heads are filled with 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 compromise and, and, and the and, and the destruction of a nation that was founded upon godly principles to the point that now they have nothing to believe in. And in an ultimate act of desecration, they go to the oldest church established in 1816, I believe it was, St. John's Church the other night, surrounding it, and they set it on fire. If we can't see, then we're truly blind indeed. But tomorrow we want to look further by God's grace um, as we close, because is there hope? Yes, like Brother Jeremy was reading. If you be willing, if you be obedient, don't just be obedient. In other words, don't just have some pseudo-spiritual thing and and, and wrap yourself in in some kind of a religiosity, like we were talking about Giglio earlier, telling the children to go ahead and march, just do it peacefully, desiring so much to want to be loved by the world that he jumps into the womb because his message is empty. He has nothing. None of them have nothing. When I saw the president out in front of that church two days ago, was it yesterday, day before yesterday, holding up that Bible, 
you know, I was thinking, okay, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things I could talk about we have, but, but, <laughs> I mean, where are all the big-time preachers? Where were right. the Benny Hins, the Kenneth Copelands, the Paula White, spiritual advisor to the president? Where are all these charismatic preachers? How come they ain't standing with him in front of the church? You know why? You know why they're not there? Uh, because they're afraid to identify the, uh, with him at this moment because after this, they know he's not going to last for very much longer. And even if he does get reelected, which I don't think he's going to, and I pray that that's not the case, but only God knows it's none of my business. It's God's business. But whatever happens, they know that those photo ops that, uh, that, that, that they would have taken with him would forever seal the fate of their ministry in a culture that will look to those moments and say, when we needed you, you weren't there. So rather than being out front and taking a stance for the guy that has given them everything that they said that they wanted, they left him tragically isolated and fumbling around with his Bible that he probably rarely reads because he didn't even know how to hold it. And he didn't even know what to say. That's how I don't think it was we... his. <laughs> no, he said. They at, every, <laughs> yeah, he said, reporter said, "Is that your Bible?" He says, "It's a Bible." <laughs> it's a Bible. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I and I almost felt sorry for him, man. I mean, yeah. I really did. Yeah. I said, man, I said, how alone must you feel right now? Because where's yeah. all these big time preachers, right? Where are they right now? Where's TDJ? Yeah. God. Help him. I won't go stand next, even though I'm an African American preacher. I won't go stand next to my president, even he's though I'm he's, he's having a he's having a conversation with Carl Lentz. He's having a call, having ice cream at his house with Carl Lentz, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's part of a movement that that's done more to corrupt the landscape with a false uh, gospel and a, and and a false Little expression God. of what worship should be. Yes. Well, what about the Samuel Rodriguez's representing the Latino con con contingent? Oh, he loved the photo ops when the, everybody was riding high. Oh, yeah. Simone Way. <laughs> I'm calling <laughs> you out. Where were you? You know, uh, Mr. What did Ezekiel say, brother? Uh, you know, he said, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say down to them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Amen, brother. Thus saith the Lord God, woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have been nothing. Right. And and found wanting, right? They're, they're, under their leadership, uh, this modern church, I mean, I, I want to ask you, uh, how's your cultural relevance working out right now? How's your influence in the culture working out right now? Why do we have a generation of young people, Jeremiah's age and a little older, marching the streets, burning down the, the stores, fighting with the police, and, and burning down the church, the churches, the oldest church in Washington, D.C., burning it down, yeah. trying to burn it down to the ground. And you know what, brother? Uh, this may sound a little hyper-spiritual, but <laughs> that's, that church was named after St. John. The evangelist, the one who wrote the book of Revelation. Right. It's almost as if the spirit that's now moving in the culture was saying, we will have none of this, this prophecy. We will have nothing to do with St. John's Revelation. Yeah, right. uh, you know, it, 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 it's incredible what's happening. And what we're saying, yes. and we're talking and appealing 
To those of you who know how to get a hold of God, pray. Call out to God. Search the scriptures. Follow up behind what we're telling you and see if it be not so. Because what God goes on to say is he he has a remnant. Verse 9, right? Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been like Sodom and we would become like Gomorrah. What am I saying? He has this remnant. He has his church hidden. Like in Ezekiel's day, he thought he was the only guy left. But God said, I have reserved under me 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his image. And Paul, in his defense of Israel in the book of Romans, tells us God has reserved his people. He called it uh, uh, the election according to his grace. You're out there. And take heart and take courage. You could. We are. And I'm including myself in this because I know where I'm at with God. And I know you too, brethren, are the same place. We are part of that remnant. And what God was saying is if I don't have at least you guys and, 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 and the thousands across this country, in this country, because that's what we're talking about, who love God, if you guys weren't there, the entire society would implode upon itself. The only thing holding it back right now is yes. that God is extending his hand and, 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 and protecting his people. The choice is going to be ours, and this is going to be the summer of sorrows. And what, what we have seen is not anything yet unless we repent, unless we be willing and obedient. We will eat the good of the land. And as God spoke through his prophet back then, so he's telling us today, wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow. Yes. And he says, then he says this, come now, let us reason together. Mm. That's not that they're trying to destroy you. He's trying to save you from your own, <laughs> from our own messes up, man, from all the stupid stuff we've done. Our self-destruction. Yes. Though your sins be as scarlet, he says, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be white like wool. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only answer. It has always been the only answer, and it will remain the only answer under the coming of the Lord. Yes. So take right. So take heart, man. I mean, yes, there's hope. We need to return to our roots. And I think of King Josiah, like King Josiah of old. Remember, brothers, he wept when he heard the word of God. He wept. Because it had been hidden for many generations. And, and I believe yeah. that now, while we have this pause, we must return to God's word. We must, like Isaiah said, wash ourselves and put away our error. If we do, and we must, it may be that we might avert further judgment. But if we fail to listen, man, God help us all. Lord, yes. come quickly is our prayer. Help us to encourage your people and to bless yes. your people. Have mercy yes. on us, O oh Lord. Yes. Have mercy on us and pour out your spirit that our land might be healed. Raise up shepherds for your people that are out there scattered abroad like sheep yes. having no shepherd. Gather your yes. people, Father, and prepare us for the days ahead. For we know yes. that the coming of the Lord is at hand. We love you, and we hope you join us tomorrow as we continue in our studies and reflections.
of the vision of Isaiah. Will you finish this off, brothers? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and keep looking up.